0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 13, book of the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, 13th chapter, having just returned from ministering in Hong Kong, Malaysia, Singapore, and then with our team leaving this week for Kenya, I thought it would be appropriate for us to keep a focus on missions as a church, and then this evening, I'll be giving an update on our, our time away, and sharing that with you. And so I invite you to turn to this passage. If you're using the Bibles there in the chairs, it's on page 771. I think it's a, a great chance for us to keep a mission's mind within our ministry. You know, I don't often think about the importance of the U.S. Embassy until I'm in a different country. When Christopher and I were in Kenya a couple of years ago, I remember Pastor Messler driving down a road and pointing out the various embassies. And I thought, okay, that's good to know. Uh, a year ago when we were in Israel, we actually drove by the, the U.S. embassy there. And while in Singapore, Pastor Chern uh, pointed out the area where the embassies were located. You know, that's not something I normally think about. But when you're in a different country, it is, it is good information. So what is an embassy? it's the official residence of the ambassador, but it's really the public face in another country of the country that's being represented. So the U.S. Embassy is the public face of the U.S. in another country. And the main purpose is to assist American citizens who are traveling or living there. If they have needs, if there are situations that arise that they are there. It's an important point of contact. For travelers between their home country and where they are. And an embassy actually belongs to the country that it represents. It operates under the jurisdiction of the home country, not the host country. And, it, and an attack on an embassy is considered an attack on that country. You know, in a way, the church is a heavenly embassy. We are called to be ambassadors. We read that in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. We're ambassadors for Christ. And, and corporately, we have a responsibility to assist travelers, strangers and pilgrims, that we have another citizenship. The, the church is the jurisdiction, under the jurisdiction of Christ. He's the head. He's the one who has the, the guidance. And if an attack on the church is an attack on Jesus Christ. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, Jesus confronts Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul had been terrorizing the church, and and he he says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He didn't say, why do you persecute the church? Why are you persecuting believers? Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Because he was attacking the church. You know, as ambassadors, we are tasked with a mission. We have a message to deliver. We, we have a responsibility to make disciples. We are seeking to establish local embassies, churches around the world that will take that message and assist others in their spiritual journey. And what I want us to see this morning is that the local church has a responsibility to advance the gospel through missions, The book of Acts records the birthday, the growth, and the spread of the church. In fact, in Acts 1, verse 8, we find the the geographical outline for the book of Acts. Acts 1, 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so the first 12 chapters of Acts are dealing with the spread of the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And when we come to chapter 13, we're introduced to the advance of the gospel, to the ends of the earth. That is, to the remotest parts, the farthest places of the known world at that time. And that's what we find. So chapter 13 is really the dividing line in the book of Acts. Follow with me as I begin reading in Acts 13, verse 1. Acts 13, verse 1. Now, the church that was at Antioch, at the church there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed for Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews." And they also had John as their assistant. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was bar who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of the Lord, but Elamas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O oh, full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father. As we look into your word this morning. We pray that as a church and as individuals that we would strive to be faithful in advancing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we would support those who go, and that we would be faithful as we stay to be missionaries where you place us, to spread the name of Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. In this passage, we see the responsibility of the church to to, to share the gospel. There is a significant change that takes place at this chapter in the book of Acts that is really difficult to overstate. In the chapters before, there were really 25 years now past the birthday of the church at Pentecost. And in those 25 years since the founding of the church back in Acts chapter 2, there's, there's really been no organized missions outreach. There, there was no missionary church The church in Jerusalem was a mother church. It sent people out like Barnabas to to validate, to assist in ministry, but not for the sake of missions. In fact, in chapter 11, if you want to just turn over a page or look back across the page, in Acts 11, verse 22, it says, then the news came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and seen the the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with purpose of heart that they should continue in the Lord. So the gospel's gone out and word comes back to Jerusalem and they send Barnabas to check up on it and make sure everything is, is biblical. So before Acts 13, the evangelistic outreach was really providential rather than purposeful. It resulted from persecution, not from planning. That when persecution arose that people scattered and everywhere they went, they shared the gospel. They went not to save the lost so much as to save their lives. They weren't going as missionaries so much as they weren't volunteering to be martyrs. And when you read through the first chapters, that's what you find. That that wherever they went, they did share the gospel. You read that back in Acts chapter 4 or chapter 8 verse 4. And from missions, then you find this taking place. But that's going to change here. From Acts 13 going forward, you find an intentional focus on missions. And 13 of the 27 New Testament books will come out of what begins here in chapter 13. And recognizing what happened should encourage us and instruct us that we cannot go into coasting mode. That the church should never be at a standstill. That, that God is not in maintenance mode with the church. He wasn't then and he's not today. Missions is God's program. Christ is building his church. And the Father would receive glory through the church. That is God's plan. That, that unto him would be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations. So the mission of Tri-City Baptist Church is to be glorifying Christ in the church. Both here in this location and as we send others out. And to be faithful to that, to be the type of church that God wants us to be, we have to have the right focus. So what does it take to be a missions-minded church? That's what I want us to consider this morning. The missions-minded church must first of all be grounded on the right foundation. We find that in this passage. Now the church... That was at Antioch. We're actually introduced to this church back in in chapter 11. Beginning in verse 19. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at that time. Behind Rome and Alexandria, Egypt, then it was Antioch. The church came into being as a result of persecution that had taken place. The martyrdom of Stephen had taken place back in Acts chapter 7, and then in chapter 8, verse 1, it says they were all scattered. Well, where do they go? Well, Acts 11 says... Verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed. And so we find that, that word comes back to Jerusalem. Barnabas is sent from Jerusalem to go up to Antioch, which is the, the square there on the map that you see on the screen. And when he gets there, it says in Acts eleven twenty four, Barnabas, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. He goes there, sees what's going on and says, I need help. So he goes up further to Tarshish, where he gets Saul. And he brings Saul back to Antioch. And they are going to minister there for a year, preaching and teaching. In fact, in Acts 11, verse 26, it says, And at Antioch, the followers of Jesus were first called Christians. Now, now some have said that that was a derogatory term. The text really doesn't indicate that. It could have been, but the text doesn't say that specifically. But what it does indicate is that they were identified as Christ followers. Whatever it was, whatever the reasoning, they called them Christians to say, these are people who are following Christ. They weren't merely religious proselytes. They weren't simply going to church. They were Christ-like. Having a strong base is vital for advancing missions. This church will be home base. Antioch will be home base for the gospel going into the pagan world. It was a generous church. In fact, in chapter 11, verse 29, it was primarily a Gentile congregation, and yet they send a love offering to support the Jews that are facing a famine in Jerusalem. They're concerned about their Jewish brothers and sisters. And again, this shows how the gospel brings together people because we're united in Christ. I I think it's significant because I think Tri-City Baptist Church is a significant ministry today. I believe God has placed us here at this time to have an influence that frankly is beyond our size. When you look at the number of things that we have going on here at tri City, there are churches that are two and three times our size that don't have all the things going that we do. And I believe God has strategically placed us here at this time. Therefore, we have to protect our ministry. We have to protect our spirit. We have to protect our testimony. Are we known as Christ followers, not merely church attenders? They were first called Christians at Antioch. You know, we can be known to be active and serving at Tri-City, to be faithful in attendance. But are you known as Christ-like? Are are we striving to be holy? Because being helpful and being holy are not the same things. And we're called to be holy. Therefore, we need to have a, a solid foundation. The second thing, though, that we see about this church is it was instructed by faithful leaders. Not only did it have a right foundation, it's being instructed. And it says, now at the church at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. And what we see is that there was scriptural teaching. And this is important. You've got Barnabas and Saul spending a year teaching the people at Antioch. You know, we don't know the names of the charter members of the church at Antioch. We actually don't know who planted the church. Maybe some of these that are mentioned were part of that. But what we are told is that they had prophets and teachers. They had people that are preaching the word faithfully and teaching. And it's, it's ongoing. And we have a list of people who are involved. Bible teaching establishes the church and sustains the church. That is what we are called to do. Teaching is something that mature believers ought to be able to do. That's what Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 and following say, that, that we ought to be able to teach. So I could never cover a class. No, but you could teach children. You could do one-on-one discipleship. If you're a parent, you're going to be teaching. And so we have to be maturing, that we can share the gospel. Maybe you can share a devotional. It's, it's part of spiritual maturity. And what a joy that is to come. I remember being in Maine and pastoring there and a young man that I'd led to the Lord. And uh, he came to me one day and said, you know, I'd like to share a devotional. And he had, hadn't been saved real long, but he, he wanted, and I said, that's great. We have a men's breakfast. Love to have you do it there. And, and he studied, he prepared. And I'll tell you that it, it stirred my heart to see here is somebody who is maturing to teach. He's now been a deacon in that church. Well, that's, that's the process of maturing. The proclamation of God's word is essential to the health of the local church. Now, we have to have ears to hear, hearts to heed the word of God. So we come with an intent to listen. air scriptural teaching. And, and we see the people that were there. If you look at these names, it's interesting. Barnabas is the first one mentioned. He was a Jew, a, a Levite. He's actually from the island of Cyprus. We, we meet him back in chapter 4, verse 36. But Barnabas wasn't his given name. It was Joseph or Joseph. But he was such a selfless, caring individual that the apostles named him the son of encouragement, Barnabas. And so we know him as Barnabas because he was an encourager. The second one mentioned is Simeon. That was called Niger. That's the Latin word for black. He was dark-skinned. And, and it's interesting because John Mark in the Gospel of Mark seems to know this man. He may have been the same one that is mentioned in Mark chapter 15, verse 21. John Mark goes on this missions trip that's coming. So he was there at Antioch. And, and the Simeon or Simon that he mentions is Simon of Cyrene. Cyrene was located on the north shore of Africa, west of of Egypt. The the Simon mentioned in Mark's gospel was the one who carried the cross for Jesus. He was compelled to carry it. And and while we don't know for sure that this is the same person, it's a possibility. Because the very next person mentioned is from Cyrene. Lucius from Cyrene. Maybe he knew Simon who carried the cross. And again, I'm speculating, but that's how the gospel goes out. A person has an encounter with Jesus and tells others. And and so we pray, we meet people, we tell them about Jesus, and the gospel, the good news, spreads as people have that encounter. The fourth one that's mentioned is Mannion. His name actually means foster brother. And when we read this passage, we read that he was brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch. The Herod that is mentioned here is Herod Antipas. He's the the Herod that beheads John the Baptist. And this is his foster brother. What a testimony of God's grace. Trophies of sovereign grace we sang. Here are two boys brought up in the same house. One is remembered for his wickedness in killing the one who announced the coming of the Lamb of God because he was motivated by the dance of Herodias and offered her anything she wanted up to half his kingdom. And he said, I want the head of John the Baptist. And so he's known for killing John the Baptist. The other one is a devout devout follower of Jesus Christ and a leader in the first church to commission missionaries. That is the grace of God. But it's also a challenge for us. Don't ever use your upbringing as an excuse not to serve the Lord today. This guy had a chance. Mannion could have said, well, you don't understand the house I grew up in. I mean, look at, look at my foster brother Herod. No, he, he's serving the Lord. And the last one that's mentioned is Saul. He's listed here by his Hebrew name. But in a few verses, he'll become identified by his Gentile name, Paul. We find that in verse 9. And he will become the apostle to the Gentiles, the foremost church planter, even though he's listed last. See, they're being taught. We also see a, a, a spiritual giftedness that is taking place here in this church. You know, there's a diversity in this church. Just in these names, we find there are different nationalities. They have different social classes. They have different educational backgrounds and and religious training. You have a Levite. You, You have others that are from a totally different background, different skin colors, different personalities, different giftedness, prophets and teachers. And again, we see the unity in the diversity. And I think one of the strengths of Tri City Baptist Church is that we are a multi generational, multi ethnic ministry. Yeah, I, I would love to know how many different nationalities we have represented here. There's only one race, but to understand, God is calling from every tribe, every language, every people group, those who will praise His name. You now, in speaking for the family camp, we had people from Singapore, Malaysia, China, and the Philippines represented. And during the service, they're translating it into either Mandarin or Cantonese. I don't know the difference. Um, But they're translating that for those that that were there. You know, the good news crosses all boundaries. Because we don't serve a tribal God. We serve the God of the universe. The King of kings. And, And therefore, we have a responsibility and opportunity to be diligent as servants and ministers. Ministers every member. Because God has people to serve him. He's given us a task. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. We see as well that these were spirit-filled leaders. That the Holy Spirit is, speaks in verse 2 and, and then sends in verse 4. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3, the men that were selected to be deacons had to be men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. They needed the Holy Spirit wisdom, not human wisdom. And we have to be careful we don't mix those up. Verse 9 states in, in that chapter, in chapter 8, that Stephen was a man of such wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. And he was the first martyr of the early church. In Chapter 11, verse 24, Barnabas was a good man full of the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 13, verse 9, we read that Saul, who is called Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. The chapter concludes by noting the disciples were filled with, the Holy, with joy and with the Holy Spirit in verse 52. Do you get the impression this is important? Do you think that everybody in the early church was filled with the Holy Spirit? Is everyone in the church today? It seems like if that were the case, it would be an unnecessary statement. But how important it is that we guard our lives, our hearts. Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you controlled by the Spirit? Are you demonstrating the wisdom of the Spirit that that Pastor Nathan read, led us in the reading from James 3? You know, for a church to make a difference, to please God, spirit control is necessary. And so we need to guard our hearts that we'd be faithful. The third thing I want us to see, though, is that was focused on a God-centered worship. A missions minded church is focused on God centered worship as they ministered to the Lord. The, the, the word that is used here for minister is the, the, the Greek word from which we get the English word liturgy. It's the idea of worship and service being brought together, which which is what we're to do. It says in, in Romans chapter 12 present your bodies as a sacrifice that is alive which is acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. It's our reasonable service. And so the emphasis has to be that we would be God-centered, not man-centered. This church was was theocentric, not anthropocentric. It wasn't trying to see what people wanted. It was saying, how do we serve and minister to the Lord? And that has to be our focus. Are we people-pleasers or God-pleasers? Do we live to please God or do we live to please people? Well, what will they think if I do this? Well, what will God think? That has to be the question that drives us. You know, not asking what's in it for me, but what honors the Lord? And so we go to the world for the sake of his name. The Lord, not people, is actually the focus of Christian ministry. Now, we're ministering to people, but we're doing it for his glory. I read a statement years ago that has stuck with me that missions exist because worship doesn't. That people are seeking to worship, but they're seeking in the wrong places. And I'll share some of that this evening as we saw it very evidently in the countries where we visited. But the job of missionaries, which is really each one of us, is to share who God is because he's worthy of worship, he's worthy of praise. That's actually what stirs Paul's heart when he gets to Athens in chapter 17 that he sees this city given over to idolatry. But the fourth thing I want us to see is that it involves sending qualified people. So the Holy Spirit said to them, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now the Holy Spirit chose two people that were in the midst of of doing something. It would seem that Barnabas and Saul probably were up to their eyeballs in ministry at this point, And now they're going to get called to further service. You know, and as I read this, I would say, okay, as, as I read this list, we don't know a lot about the other people that are not mentioned. But Barnabas and Saul would be the last two that we would want to lose from a church. Now, how about Mannion? He's a nice guy, but, you know, let him go. Or, or one of the others. You know, and, and sometimes we think that way. And it's, I mean, that's one of the challenges. And I have to constantly be thinking, you know, we're, we're a training base. Because we have students come for college. It's like, boy, they fit in our ministry. But we need to send them out. We need to train others. And, and what we need to understand is God chooses those who are serving, not those who are apathetic. You want to be used of God? Serve. Look for an opportunity to minister. I mean, these were people who were faithfully Serving. And they didn't volunteer for this missions trip. They're called by the Holy Spirit. The church recognizes and endorses what they're doing. The, the missions is a work of the church, not merely individuals. And and God has a right to, to upset our plans. I I remember when I when I was in Maine, and we had a time where several of our families ended up moving away for other ministry opportunities. And and I'm looking at this. I mean, we're we're ministering, we're I'm pastoring in the least state church in the country. And and our our conservatory trained pianist and her family moved to Pensacola, Florida. And then one of my deacons and his family, six people, they moved to Greenville, South Carolina. And another deacon and his family of six, they moved to Watertown, Wisconsin. And I'm thinking, those are not towns that need these people. We, we need them in Maine. But you know, God can move his servants where he wants. It's his ministry. And missions is the work of the church, not merely individuals. Some are called to go, others are called to stay. And both are equally faithful to the Lord as they fulfill their call. I think sometimes we think oh well there's a you know top tier if you go well actually we both have responsibility those who stay provide support prayer finances service we we help them and those who god calls to stay are just as vital to missions we need a strong foundation In fact, in 1 Samuel 30, verse 23 and following, David actually rebukes the men who sought to restrict the spoils of battle to the people who had gone only. He said, no, those who stayed by the supplies will partake just as everyone else because they have an equal part in that ministry. And we need to be careful we don't somehow communicate that there are two tiers. No, we're all to serve God where he places us. And be faithful. And being faithful here allows others to go. And it may be that God uses this to prepare you for other ministry. But we have a generous church that we can support others that go. See, ministry is spiritual service. You know, what took place here was unexpected. They weren't looking to go. It interrupted their lives and God can do that. And this will be a demanding trip. This is not going to be easy. In fact, when you read Acts, you find out that, that there's going to be challenges. In fact, if I can just show you the map, and beginning in verse 13 or verse 3, you see what is taking place. They, this church sends them away. And, and they go to Seleucia where, where they, they then get on a boat and they go to Cyprus. Remember, Barnabas is from that area. And, and as they go forth, they, they arrive in Salamis, and then they, they go across the entire island And they go to Paphos. You know, this is not going to be easy. There are going to be conflicts, and we're going to look at that in just a moment. But but serving God isn't for sissies. You know, we we tell our students at IBCS, International Baptist College and Seminary, it's a training ground, and and the desert is not a good place for snowflakes. (laughs) We're sending you forth into ministry. And we're on the winning side. But what we see, fifthly, is the, the emphasis is on the gospel proclamation. A mission-minded church must be emphasizing the gospel proclamation. So as they go, they preach the word. We see that in verse 5. You find this over and over, and I'm not going to take time to develop it, but you can read through this chapter. In verse 7, Sergius Paulus sought to hear the word of God. In verse 10, Elemas was the enemy of righteousness. Verse 15, they were reading the law and the prophets. And and they want to hear. In fact, then Paul preaches. And from verses 16 to 41, he's preaching because they want to hear the word. In verse 32, he says, we declare, we preach to you the good tidings. They preach the forgiveness of sins, verse 38, through Jesus Christ. And then he warns them in verse 40, beware lest what is spoken by the prophets comes upon you. And then in verse 42, the Gentiles beg to hear more. And so in verse 44, the whole city comes together to hear the word of God. In verse 46, it says it's necessary for the word of God should be preached to you first, the Jews, but since you reject it, it's going to the Gentiles. In verse 48, the Gentiles rejoiced and glorified God that they could hear the word. My point is the good news is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not ser- simply meeting physical needs. It's telling them about Jesus. We have to pray, meet people, and tell them about Jesus. That they would understand what the gospel means. That preaching goes beyond mere teaching. It it involves the application, the exhortation. It involves correction. And the mission of the church is the proclamation of the word. That's why we gather. That's why this pulpit is central in our auditorium for the proclamation of the word. The sixth thing that we see though with a missions-minded church is is prepared for spiritual opposition. There will be a battle. There are going to be challenges. And we have the example here that that there was this Jew on the island of Cyprus, a sorcerer, a false prophet, Elymas. He's seeking to prohibit the work of God. He's trying to obstruct the The teaching, the preaching of the word, and hinder the faith. And his name was Bar Jesus, son of Jesus. He was just the opposite. He's doing the opposite. And Paul confronts him and and he changes his name. He clarifies who he really is in verse 10. He says, Rather than Bar Jesus, he is Bar Diabolos, he is the son of the devil because he was opposing what was right. He was being used as a tool of Satan to hinder the gospel. Remember, when the embassy is attacked, Jesus Christ is being attacked. Those who attack the gospel attack the work of Christ. Those who hinder the work of the church are hindering the work of Christ. And, and Paul knew this because he had had firsthand experience Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And you remember what happened. He was blind. Notice what he does here. You will be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. I think, he's, I think his heart is that he would, this, this one who's acting as the son of the devil would actually become a son of Jesus. And he said for a season, and he's, but he's rebuking him. See, there, the biblical mission is a spiritual battle. There's a battle raging today. I I remind our staff and myself often that we are in a spiritual battle. There will be conflict, but we're on the winning side. And that's the joy. The word of God brings both salvation, but it also brings judgment. And that's what we see in these verses. In fact, in verse 46, it says that it's necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you, the Jews, first, but since you reject it, And judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. What a terrible statement. Because they are rejecting the truth, they are unworthy of eternal life. 1 Thessalonians speaks of this, because they did not have a love for the truth that they should be saved. Oh, we need to make sure that our hearts are always in tune with the Word. But understand the seventh thing that we see is anticipating spiritual fruit. That the missions minded church will see the reward. We see in these verses, then in verse 12, that the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, believed. He saw what had been done. He saw Paul's dealing with Bar Jesus. But he was astonished at the teaching. It wasn't the miracle. That validated that Paul was the messenger of God. It validated the the statement, the message. But it was the teaching of the Lord that brought him to salvation. He was astonished by the teaching. And so we see that there is fruit. And this mission's journey is going to continue from there. Let me just very quickly show you how this is going to go. Show you a map that that it goes forth. The the blue arrow going up there, they go from Cyprus and they, they go up and to Perga, and then John Mark leaves the team at that point. They continue on, and it says they go to Antioch in Pisidia. If you read the chapter and say, okay, that's the circle. There's more than one Antioch. They go up there, they plant other churches, then they come back, and they go back to Antioch. But as they go to Antioch and Pisidia, it says many of the Jews and devout proselytes, the the Gentiles that were following the the Jewish teachings, believed. They follow Paul and and Barnabas. That's verse 43. The whole city hears the word of God, verse 44. And many Gentiles trust the Lord, verse 48. See, the church involved in missions is on the winning side. These churches are going to be planted. This is just the first missionary journey. When the word goes out and sinners hear, souls are saved. So we go to the world for the sake of his name. But let's make sure we're on the right side in the battle. Don't be like a bar Jesus opposing righteousness. Don't try to twist the ways of the Lord. There are a lot of churches doing that today. Oh, the Bible doesn't really say what it says about marriage, sexuality, manhood and womanhood. And they 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 try to twist it. No, that is not doing the work of God. So how do we apply this to our lives? Number one, are you committed to the spiritual stability of Tri-City Baptist Church? We need a solid foundation, a strong home base. Our commitment to the truth is key. It is a joy to serve here and to see the heart of this this church to know that I can be gone and and you're being fed and the great preaching and teaching that we would be faithful. But let's make sure that we're surrendered to the truth, that we're willing to make personal application and that we truly have ears to hear that we are hearing. Are you faithful? Number two, are you personally striving to serve the Lord in faithful worship? Our commitment to honor Him, to reverential worship, impacts our ministry. That that the church is not built on creativity, gimmicks, and novelty. That's not how the gospel goes forth. Our goal must always be to glorify God by seeing people from every group come to know Him and worship Him together. That we would be faithful. And number three, are you dedicated to the advancement of the gospel? Prayer is always involved in missions. As we have our church prayer times, those, those groups and then other times that we would be praying, the work will not be accomplished unless we pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest. And then God sends missionaries into the harvest. So then we have to ask, are we willing to go? Will we support those who go? Will you let your children go? And those who go and those who support are both involved in the advancement of the gospel equally, that we would be faithful. The church is at her best when she fulfills her purpose, which is doing the work of missions. From this point on in Acts, the gospel will spread to Galatia, to Asia, to Macedonia, to Italy. Paul writes to the church at Rome, and then we, we we see the account really spreading to the west. But the good news also spreads to the east. And it's interesting because the book of Acts doesn't really have a definite conclusion. When you read the last verses of Acts, we find Paul in a rental property, receiving everybody who will come to him and preaching the the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus. It's like, okay, but what happens? Missions isn't done. The mission of the church continues. It is not complete. We are here because God has a plan and a purpose for us today. We still need to go to all the world and make disciples of every nation for the sake of his name. We're to establish local churches, heavenly embassies that will declare the message that we are ambassadors and called to deliver and assist travelers, strangers and pilgrims on their spiritual journey. So do we understand that Our local church has a responsibility to advance the gospel through missions. Where are you in that process? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Are you a Christ follower? If not, we would love today to show you from God's word how you can have that relationship. If you are, are you surrendered? Are you seeking to serve? Are you walking in the Spirit? God has a work for you to do that no one else can do because he prepared the works beforehand for each of us that we should walk in them. So are you being faithful today? Let's pray together.